Thank you for listening to the River Walk today. Today is a special day at Beth River Baptist Church. It's our annual Harvest Day. Today you'll hear from Dr. Rick Brewer, who is in his 34th year of Christian higher education. He has been at Louisiana College as the president since March of 2015. Their enrollment's grown more than 15% with a recent rate 2.5 times greater than other private liberal arts institutions. I know you'll be blessed from hearing him. As a side note, this is the first time I've ever recorded somebody else speaking, so I hope you can hear well, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks, and have a great week. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Glad we could share with you today on this very special day at Beth River Baptist Church, Harvest Day. Thanks for letting us come and represent your college, Louisiana College. We're your only accredited Baptist comprehensive liberal arts college in the state and a place where we're mission-driven and vision-focused. Our mission is to be a Christ-centered community where we are committed to academic excellence, where students are equipped for lives of learning, leading, and serving. And our vision is to prepare graduates and transform lives. We watch it happen on our campus daily. Students are majoring in a variety of different programs, programs you can find at your larger state universities. And I think we're proving every day that you don't have to be a huge, giant university to be good as we're equipping students and preparing them to go into whatever walk of life God is calling them, whether it's to go to be a nurse or to be a teacher or to be a missionary, to be a business leader, to be in the media world, to be an athletic trainer, whatever that might be, wherever God's calling. So I hope you would check our website out. We have preview day coming up this Saturday. So grandmas and parents and grandfathers who have some high school children that need to know about our college if they're in the 11th grade or even if they're in the 10th grade, they ought to come down and check us out. Come meet our faculty, come learn more about this wonderful education we offer that's Christ-centered. And there's not another liberal arts college in the state that makes that claim, not anyone. And what's being taught in our larger state universities is quite scary. And it's foreign to anything you have taught your children growing up, I can promise you. And so if you want to go to a place where you get a great education, it's accredited, they can go anywhere, and know that their faith is going to be developed, and their faith in Christ is going to grow. And they're going to understand why God has called them to this particular field of study. Let me encourage you to take a hard look at Louisiana College. Our students, a lot of scholarships, don't worry about that kind of thing. Well, if the Lord leads, he provides financially, always does. And so I hope you'll, you'll consider that. Spread the word. Preview day is next Saturday. Starts at um, 11 o'clock in the morning, and we'll run for a few hours on our campus. And you can be there about an hour and a half from here. It's not bad at, at all. Uh, in, in my family, there's a... I came from a kind of a lineage of either pastors or educators in my family. My dad was, and he's gone home to be with the Lord years ago, died far too young from cancer. And uh, uncles and cousins that are pastors, many of them have gone home to be with the Lord now too. And so in my family, Kevin, I'm about the last one who's still active in ministry. And so I'm the kind of for the Brewer family all over the country for the ones that we're related to uh, closely. I'm kind of the campus, or not the campus, but the family pastor, you know, or the family minister. So I get called for all kinds of things, weddings, funerals, questions. And uh, one, of my, one of my cousins, Vernon T. Brewer the, the third, 
He lives in Waycross, Georgia. Anybody here from Waycross, Georgia? Anybody ever been to Waycross, Georgia? Do you know why they call it Waycross, Georgia? Because it's Waycross, Georgia. That's right. <laughs> You're ahead of me. Well, Vernon, uh, after finishing his career in the Marine Corps, simplify, he went back home to Waycross, Georgia to work on the farm. Good fella. Now, he's always told me, Rick, don't ever say I'm a former Marine. He says, once you're a Marine, you're a Marine for life. I mean, I mean, Vernon now in his mid-50s, he said, if they call me up to work, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to come back to, to duty as a Marine. So don't ever say I'm an ex or former Marine. I got it. And so he's back in Waycross. He's uh, farming. He's real active in his church, loves the Lord, reads everything he can to grow in his walk with Christ. And so anytime he sees something on the Internet or on television or whatever, he'll call me up if he's not sure about it biblically. So about, it was about five years ago, I was getting ready to take a flight from Charleston, South Carolina to New York where I was going to speak to a homeschooler convention. And so you're there on the plane, and uh, I was talking to Kevin earlier. He's got a background in, in flying, so he understands this. And many of you that have flown, you're on the tarmac. They tell you after you're there for a few minutes, we're ready to go, right? Close the door, shut down your cell phones because we've got to take off. And so I knew they were about ready to do that. Now, see, on my iPhone, it comes up Vernon, Vernon T. I said, oh, no, what's Vernon T? So I said, Vernon, I don't have long to talk. I'm about to close the door. I'm flying to New York. What do you need? He says, Rick. He said, somebody dropped off this magazine at the house this week called The Watchtower. And they put a note on it that said they were going to come to see me in a few weeks to talk about it. I said, Vernon, I don't have long to go into that and tell you all the things, all the theological differences we have with the folks behind that magazine. But, and I knew this would get his attention. I said, well, Vernon, I have been told. I'm not sure it's true. Well, maybe. I think it is. I've been told that the folks that ascribe to that publication and that certain religion, they are not patriotic. They don't believe in saluting the flag. They don't believe in anything patriotic. He said, well, that's enough for me. I hung up the phone. So it was about 10 days later, this nice lady drives up to the house and pulls up with her minivan and gets out with a big briefcase. And she comes up the sidewalk and comes to the front door and you know, rings the doorbell. Vernon looks to his sweet wife. Mary Elizabeth said, well, it's time. They're here. We're ready. And so they, the lady knocks on the door, and Vernon T. goes and said, oh, ma'am, it's nice to meet you. We've been kind of expecting you. Glad you came here. I said, okay, great. I'm glad to be here, too. And so they sit down, and he offers her some coffee, and they have coffee. And then he says, uh, the lady says to Vernon, says, well, I've got some stuff here I'd like to share with you in my briefcase. And Vernon said, well, wait just a minute. Just wait a minute. We want you to know that every time we invite anybody into our home, whether they're a friend or family or a new friend, someone we just met, it's customary in our family that every day we stand and salute the flag. And so over the fireplace, he had a big old 10 by 10 flag. I mean, it stretched from the ceiling to the floor. And so Vernon and Mary Elizabeth and their three precious children, they're 12, 10, and 8, they all stood there, and they stood there and did I pledge allegiance to the flag right there. And so the ladies watched and did that, and when it's over, she said, well, that's great, sir. I, I, can I get to what I came to talk about? He said, oh, ma'am, you understand. Our family is so patriotic. We love this country so much that every day we sing together all three verses of the national anthem. <laughs> Not just the first one, but all three. And so 11 minutes later, Vernon T. looks at the nice lady and says, ma'am, now what is it you came to talk to us about today? She said, well, I guess tell you, sir, 
In my 23 years of selling Avon, I have never, I've never met a family as patriotic as yours. Vernon T. was ready, ready. Right thing, the wrong time, I guess. Can be frustrating. Anybody here ever experienced frustration? Seriously experienced frustration? We'll be honest, we all go through seasons and times of frustration, right? I mean, how many would say that the source of your frustration is seated beside you? No, don't do that. I don't want us to have any problems in church this morning. Anything break out on us here. But frustration. I mean, it's like, you know, ladies, it's your 25th wedding anniversary about to approach. And you're just expecting your husband to give you this marvelous Mediterranean cruise. And he comes out the day before and says, I got a big surprise to be delivered tomorrow. Well, there goes the cruise. And delivered the next day is a brand new refrigerator. I mean, that's frustrating, right? Yeah, and, the, and, the, and so the definition to understand today, as kind of overarching theme here, is frustration is simply when your expectation and reality clashes. That's frustrating. Like the young lady took a friend home for a, a male friend home to meet the family during Thanksgiving that she'd met at college. And she told her parents that he was working on a Ph.D. And so they started talking at the dinner, and they, the father asked the young man, what's the Ph.D. in? He said, oh, my Ph.D. stands for Pizza Hut Dude. <laughs> that's, that's, that's frustrating. Your expectation and your reality clash. I mean, have you been out here on the highway, either 135 or 130, and somebody puts on their left turn signal, and it stays on for seven miles? I mean, I don't want to know where you're turning. I just want to know when, right? I mean, that's frustrating. Your expectation, your reality clash. Well, a lot of examples for frustration and times of frustration and seasons of frustrations and why God would allow us to go through that. And for me, I'm drawn to, if you allow me in just the next few minutes, to unpack, I believe, a powerful story and illustration for us from God's Word. The story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And you take Joseph from Genesis 37 all the way to the end of the book, chapter 50. And what unfolds is a powerful story of reconciliation, of redemption, and of restoration. Joseph in chapter 37, he's the honored servant, right? He's the honored son. He has got the magical technicolor coat that daddy made for him, right? Remember now his lineage. His father was Jacob. His grandfather was Isaac. His great-grandfather was Abraham. Joseph's the big deal. And it seemed like daddy favored him over the other 11 brothers, right? And so on occasion, Joseph would go out and take food to the brothers while they're working. One day he goes out and notices that the brothers are not doing their jobs effectively. So he goes back and kind of reports to dad about them. Now, I grew up the oldest of three boys. If my youngest brother had ever done that to me, well, he didn't like what I did to him later, you know. But so the brothers began to conspire to get rid of Joey. Get rid of young Joseph. And Joseph's a young teenager at this point. So they decide, well, should we kill him? Or what should we do with him? One brother said, no, no, no. Let's just throw him in a pit over here and let the, let the animals eat him. And finally, one brother was empathetic enough and kind enough that he rescued him and sold him to a group of Midianite traders. So you pick the story up two chapters later in chapter 39. And Joseph has gone from a pit in 37 to the palace in chapter 39. Where here he is in Potiphar's household. Potiphar was a a leader of the Egyptian guard. 
a wealthy man. And something interesting about chapter 39 that you notice about Joseph, verse 2, 3, 21, and 23, there's this phrase. It says, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Wouldn't you want that to be said of you? Wouldn't you want that to be on your tombstone? The Lord was with her. The Lord was with him. That's why he was successful. That's why even in the midst and the location and a place that was ungodly, he's risen to the top. See, there's a key fundamental principle in God's word. He always is looking for men and women of conviction, of conscience, of character. And he, God, raises those men and women to levels of influence in our culture and our society. The problem we have today, there are not enough men and women that are saying, I will be committed. I will be a man or woman of conscience. I will be a man or woman of conviction. Too many are just wishy-washy. Because you know what it takes? It takes courage to be a man or woman of conviction, of conscience, of character. But you look through God's word. Daniel, David, Esther, Joseph, and on and on I can go. Men and women who stood tall with courage in the face of utter destruction, in the face of the enemy. But God raises them up. And here God is doing that. Now, Potiphar, he's got a wife who we think, I think she's kind of psychotic. She has issues. Potiphar's leaving for a few days. And, and, and because of Joseph's faithfulness, because God is raising him to a level of influence in Potiphar's household. Potiphar says, Joseph, I trust you with everything while I'm gone to run the place. Now, the scripture also tells us, you look at John, excuse me, you look in chapter 39 there of Genesis. It says that, uh, that, that, that Joseph was handsome. He was handsome and well built, obviously, because he's a hard worker, a good man. And so Potiphar's wife takes a liking towards him and she tries to engage him in activity that would be completely sinful. And he knows, Joseph knows, that not only would he sin against God, as he says, but he would sin against Potiphar. And so he refuses her. And in the midst of that, she is insulted and grabs a hold of his coat. And he flees. And when her husband comes back, she says, that servant of yours, that man you hired, he tried to have sexual relations with me. Well, that just incensed Potiphar. So we find at the end of chapter 39, Pastor, that Joseph is going back to a pit. He went from a pit in 37 to the palace in 39, but at the end of 39, he's being thrown in jail. An innocent man falsely accused. You talk about frustration. I mean, that's ultimate frustration. So how do you and I get through a season of frustration? Now, I want you to look with me at that next chapter, chapter 40 of Genesis. Probably not a chapter where you're immediately drawn to for your quiet time necessarily. But it's a worthy chapter for us to understand because, folks, I don't know if you're like me. One of the problems I had growing up and still do in reading books, I always like to get ahead. I always like to read the end first. <laughs> I want to see what the outcome is going to be, and I might decide whether I'm going to read everything else. Well, if you look ahead to chapter 41 in Genesis, great stuff happens in Joseph's life. Again, he's, he rises to a level of influence among, among an ungodly group of people. But he has to go through, completely through chapter 40. So follow with me. Chapter 40, verse, verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. 
Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, that is with Potiphar, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Again, even as a prisoner, Joseph has risen to the level of leadership and influence to be over these two individuals. Read on. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, you recall Joseph was the, dream, the young dreamer, right? The one who could interpret dreams. God had gifted him with that ability. And he had incensed his brothers on one occasion when he told them the dream that God had given him that basically said, one day, one, one day in the future, brothers, you're going to bow to me. And that really incensed them. So in verse 6, when Joseph came to them, the cupbearer and the baker the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Well, we both had dreams, they answered, and, and, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and as soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. Well, this is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. Now, listen closely to the next verses. We'll revisit these in a minute. But when all goes well with you, remember me. And show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Why? For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. And in the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. So that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said in his interpretation. Then possibly one of the saddest verses in scripture, at least at this point, comes next. Verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot him. You talk about frustration. Wow. And so here's some things I want us to get our minds and hearts around today to understand what God is doing in our lives when we go through a season and a time of frustration. First, you must recognize this frustration as God's course of preparation. When you and I get to the place where we can say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. 
then get ready because God is going to refine you, perhaps restrict you. He's going to prepare you. And to prepare you may require some pruning, and that won't feel good, and it may be a very difficult season of life. You see, well before this time, Joseph was God's man. There's no question. He was God's man. He had been chosen. He was God's man. But there came a point in Joseph's life when God's man had to become a man of God. And to do that required going through, through a season of frustration. I think that's the way with churches. There are churches that are God's church, but, but oftentimes for that church to really become a church of God, a church for the kingdom, <clears throat> that church and those people have to experience a season of restriction, a season of refinement, a season of pruning, a season of preparation. It won't feel good, but it's a part of God's plan and God's will. I also want you to see, too, that God places us. God places us. You see, his will is what? His will is perfect, but his will is also permissible. God allows you and I to experience things for our good. All things work together for what? The good, Romans 8, 28, to those who have been called. It doesn't say all things work together good. The good. And the good is defined by our Heavenly Father. So God places us in a time of frustration to get us to respond creatively. The old way simply won't work. You see, Joseph, I think, before this time was a little cocky, a little arrogant, as he could interpret dreams and and kind of put it in the face of his brothers. And you see him here very humbled. He's an innocent man. And you see him here that his attention is on others. You notice that in the first verses there? He looks at the cupbearer and baker and says, why are your faces so sad? He doesn't say to them the first time he's meeting, hey, guys, I'm Joseph. By the way, I'm an innocent man. I don't belong here. No. He says, why are you dejected? Why are you discouraged? You see, somebody who is self-directed will never care about others. Someone who is self-consumed will never care about others. So one of the first things he learned in this season of frustration, Joseph learned to serve other people. God is wanting us to get to a place where we will respond in a way that we never realized we could. Joseph didn't know that he could take care of others until he goes through his chapter 40 experience. You see, when you and I are going through a season of frustration, and that frustration can be in relationship. It can be frustration with our spouse, or it can be frustration with a child or with a parent. It can also be relational, and it can be vocational. We may have frustration in our work or with others that we work with. And God is wanting us to respond creatively. At this point, understand it's very, very important that you pass through this stage of frustration with dignity. Don't throw a huge pity party. Don't blame God. Don't go, woe is me. Don't think that God is trying to get even or get back at you. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't need to do that. Just pass through it with dignity. The third thing I want you to see is that not only must we respond creatively, but we must refuse to compromise. God is wanting to refine you. And here is Joseph is in this experience, in this place. He could have easily compromised on those dreams. He could have easily looked at the baker and said, well, it's, you know, 
your dream's kind of fuzzy. I'm not sure about it. No, he told the truth. A man of integrity. A man of clear honesty. And you see him struggling here in verses 14 and 15. He says, look, guys. He says, cupbearer, it's going to go good for you. You're going to be restored to your old job. And when it goes good, please remember me. I'm an innocent man. I don't belong here. This becomes his resume. He says, guys, don't you get it? My great-grandfather is Abraham. He was a really big deal. All religions go back to Abraham. He was a really big deal. And my father, and my grandfather Isaac, my father Jacob, I don't belong here. This is not my heritage. This is not my legacy. But God is wanting to teach Joseph some very important lessons. And so he does what you and I would do. He tries to work it a little bit for God. You know, like I can get ahead of this. God, I know better how to run my life than you do. God, I'll do this and then you'll bless it later. Oh, no. You've got to go through chapter 40. It's not going through 40 and a half or 40 and three quarters or 40 and seven eighths. You've got to go completely through chapter 40, even to verse 23 when it is so disappointing. And so the danger, if you compromise during a season of frustration, you know what happens? You prolong it. You prolong it because God is wanting to teach you something. Be thankful that God has placed you in that season. And God is allowing that because he's equipping you and preparing you for something fantastic. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard all the good things that God has in store for us. He can do what? Beyond what we could ever imagine or think. And so when you compromise, you prolong it. You see... Joseph goes, tell him I'm innocent, plead for me on my behalf, and nothing happens. All of his working it for God results in zilch. You know why? Because God did not need Joseph's help. God already knew the outcome. He's the sovereign Lord of the universe. He already had a plan and a purpose and a strategy for Joseph that unfolds in the chapters that follow. And God doesn't need your help. He just needs you to be faithful and to stand strong and to be patient and to refuse to compromise well next thing i want you to see is that you must request courage you must request courage something happened to joseph between verses 15 and 16 not really written about we don't see it but look what happens he says they kidnapped me they threw me here i'm innocent tell pharaoh but then verse 23 the cupbearer gets restored gets his job back and then he totally forgets him All of Joseph's scheming didn't work. And the cupbearer gets out of prison and forgets him. And somewhere in the two years, I believe, that Joseph continued to stay in that prison, probably alone from all we know. Somewhere in that two-year period, I think Joseph's prayer moved instead of, Lord, get me out of here. I think it moved to, God, give me the strength to stay. I think he stopped requesting freedom and started requesting courage. So many of us want to get out the minute that we deal with anything difficult. I see it more with college students today. As Kevin said, I've been working with college students for 34 years. I haven't been a college student for 34 years. I mean, I did that years ago. But I've been working with them for a long time. I can tell you today's young people are different. Every generation is a little different. I've worked with, I've worked with Generation X, 
Generation Y, now Generation Z. And the board told me recently, Rick, we hope you're around for Generations A, B, and C, whatever that's going to be. I don't know if I'll be around that long. But I can tell you that today's generation are quick to quit. Quick to quit. Just the first hurdle, the first challenge. Oh, I'm, I'm out. And I'm concerned, quite frankly, about the future of our country. We have to raise up a new core of leadership that's going to not request freedom from the problem, but request courage to endure and to come through it. Because God's got to teach you something. He wants to teach you something. And you can't short-circuit. Oh, you can. But who would want to short-circuit the will of God? Who would want to short-circuit all that God could do in our lives instead of waiting on him to do his work? And so God places Joseph in prison. He allows him to go through this experience. He's no longer a favored son or an honored servant. And so for two years, Joseph began to see himself the way God saw him. It completely changes his perspective. It completely changes his future, his outlook. As now, I believe he and God became closer and closer and closer. He's getting Joseph ready for something. He's getting you ready for something. Chapter 41, amazing things happen in Joseph's life. But to get to 41, he had to go all the way through 40. Here's the question for you today. If you're going through a season of frustration, whether it's relationally or vocationally or spiritually, the question for you that you must answer today is this. Am I willing to stay long enough to come through this? Yeah, to come through it. To come through it. To go through it. See, in a stage of frustration, your request must be, God, give me the courage to stay long enough for you to bring me through this. Don't quit. Don't quit on that relationship. Don't quit on that friend. Don't quit on that job. Don't quit on your spiritual life. Refuse that today. Understand we must take it a simple day at a time to stop requesting freedom from the issue, freedom from the problem, and start requesting courage to endure, courage to stay, courage to come through this with the hand of the Lord. And then the next thing I want you to see is that not only do we respond creatively, refuse to compromise, request courage, we must also reject condemnation. I can imagine Joseph's life even when he experienced that rejection Knowing that the cupbearer didn't say anything because day after day after day after day, he's not released from prison for a whole two years. And so condemnation can come to you in the midst of a season of refinement or frustration. And these voices, primarily from the enemy, will come and say, hey, listen, all that stuff you believed is not true. You know, that stuff in the Bible, that's just fairy tales. Why trust some some cosmic force of the universe? And all these voices will come into your life. So, you know, you really are a loser. So you might as well admit it. They're simply not true. Those feelings are real, but there's no truth attached to it. 
Because we must allow ourselves to be defined by who God defines us as. And the kind of people he defines us as when we follow him. That we're a chosen generation. We are a peculiar people. We are a people that Romans 8, 1 says that therefore those who are in Christ are what? We are no longer condemned. So we got to let him define us. Don't let the world, don't let the voices of the enemy define. I, you know, I've conducted a lot of weddings in my, in my career in ministry, whether at the local church or in Christian higher education. And I always tell young couples, I say, nothing's easier than reciting these vows today. Even when some fellow six foot six, 280 is crying like a baby during the ceremony, his wife is laughing or future wife laughing. You know, nothing's easier than saying these words, but nothing's tougher than living them out day after day after day. I tell every, every couple, you must decide daily you want to be married. Because why? God has a plan for, for families, does he not? I mean, the first institution he established was the home in Genesis, the family unit, the home. That's the first institution of God. Well, guess who also has a plan for every family? Yeah, Lucifer, Diabolos, the devil, Satan, the liar, the deceiver, the enemy. He has a plan to destroy your family. So refuse to compromise, reject condemnation, respond creatively. You see, trusting God, now listen to me closely, trusting God doesn't always bring immediate positive benefits. I said, wait a minute, that sounds counterintuitive. Oh, no. I mean, just go through Scripture. I mean, Joseph's trusting God, right? And he's got to go two more years through this prison experience. Paul trusted God, and his head was severed. How many others have trusted God and were burned to death, were speared? Look at the Hall of Faith in chapter 11 in Hebrews. I mean, how many? And unlike the TV preachers who announced that, you know, if you, you, know, if you just do this, your world's going to be perfect. You're going to have a new Cadillac by Tuesday, you know, those kind of things. No, flies in the face of the name it, claim it out there. We have to learn that it's a process that God is working in, working through our life. And here's Joseph. Watch this. He is in the very center of God's will. Don't you want to be in the center of God's will? I mean, don't you want to know that you've prayed up, you're reading God's word, you're sharing the gospel with others, you're faithful in giving, you're faithful in living, you feel like you're in the center of God's will. Joseph is in the center of God's will, Pastor, and nothing is going his way. It isn't working out good. In the temporal, right? But in the eternal, it's working wonderful. And that's something we have to understand as, as, as children of God. I believe, I've been so burdened by this, I've been burdened by it for many, many, many months, if not a few years. Our country has moved in the last 20 years from being a post-Christian nation to an anti-Christian nation. And I'm so concerned and burdened about the future. It's going to get darker. And we're really going to see, Pastor, who the true believers are. We're really going to see the people have the light. The word tells us we are the light of the world. And the darker it gets, the more light is exposed. But it's going to take men and women of courage, men and women of conviction, 
men and women of conscience for God to raise us up. This country needs a tremendous revival and return. You see, Christianity is blowing up in Africa. I mean, in countries throughout Africa. They're out, they're out doing us, aren't they, Kevin? I'll tell you where else Christianity. Every week they're estimating at least 1,000. That's a low number. I've heard as high as 10,000 Chinese are becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Because someone has introduced them to abundant life. Someone's introduced to them that something more valuable. And, and they've all suddenly discovered that God-shaped void in their life can't be filled by communism or can't be filled by the government. It's, it's filled in relationship with the God who made you and the God who sent his son Jesus to save you. And so thousands of Christians, thousands of Chinese in the underground church in China. South America? Unbelievable what's happening there in revival and return. I tell you, if America doesn't change, if we continue this pattern of moving further and further away from God and his word, he will choose another nation. He will choose other people to bless the world. But this country was founded to do that. Those first people that settled here, they came here what? Go back and read the Mayflower Compact in 1620. It's clear. We have come to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ on these shores. They were following the Great Commission. They were missionaries to this land. That's why they came. So I'm burdened about the future. I'm not hopeless. I'm hopeful. But I really believe it's going to get darker. And there's no doubt in my mind, we are in the last days. How long that is until Christ returns, I don't know, but I would love to be today. Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come. But he may allow us, church. He may allow the body of Christ, the remnant in this country, that is now, they say, maybe less than 20% of Americans. Thanks for listening to the River Walk today. I'm glad you heard Dr. Rick Brewer speak. I hope you learned that you can be a courageous Joseph in a dark Egypt. I hope you have a great week. Join us for Wednesday Words of Wisdom every Wednesday at 6 a.m. on our YouTube channel.